0: Hi, today is December 8th, 2023. My name is Junie, and welcome to the Theta Gang podcast. I'm not a financial advisor and nothing I say is financial advice. I'm literally just a normal retail trader, just like you. I'm not certified or a graduate of finance, just a regular trader that started on Wall Street Bets years ago. I've lost a lot of money and made some of it back and more after finding a system that worked for me. I share my trades, system, and experiences all for free. Learn from my mistakes and get a better start than me, or use my experiences to help you rebound after not selling your meta zero day to expiration calls in time. You can view all of my trades for free at ThetaGang.com slash Juni and email me any questions that I'll answer on the podcast at Juni at ThetaGang.com. Lastly, I stream on Twitch every weekday at least an hour at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Come hang out, ask me questions, vent, or just chill. It's a positive environment and everyone is welcome at Twitch.tv slash gang. Thank you and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Oh yeah. Uh, we'll just get started with the Theta Gang website updates this time. Um, I had said on the last podcast episode that the new dashboard would have been released maybe sometime this week. But I, I swear, something about talking about it on the podcast got me really fired up. And I just wanted to work on it really badly. And by the time the episode released, it had already gone out and, and released for that following Monday. Because I record on Fridays. Uh, so the new dashboard is out. So if you go to thetagame.com and you sign in and you start logging your trades, you're gonna see some cool analytics based on like how much money you've made um, contract-wise when you sell and buy options. You'll see how many of each trade type you've ever opened. And if you already have a history on thetagame.com, it's even cooler because you have already you have already have data to look back on. So more changes like this are coming soon, and I'm really excited for you guys to see them and moving on really quickly i'm not going to play the the transition song uh because that was so short uh moving on to the 5k account and twitch uh updates uh i want to talk about that on monday the 5k account started off down 3% still at a relative all time high Um, And then we opened a Microsoft put credit spread with the chat based on a poll, so we picked on whether or not we're going to pick one expiration over the other, and that was pretty fun. We picked what strike one over the other. That was also fun. Um, More listeners of the podcast showed up as first-time chatters this week. So that was... Oh, that was the email. Sorry. (laughs) Um, More listeners of the podcast showed up as chatters that week, and it was just super cool to see. I love being able to communicate with people that listen to the podcast more than the typical random user just because you know in this podcast it's very one way i just speak into a microphone and just like hope people like the content you know if you don't like the content hopefully you've stopped listening by now because i'm i think i'm almost at 200 episodes so you'll make up your mind eventually um but As time went on this week, and today is Friday, again, December 8th of 2023, uh, the 5K account is sitting at an all-time high. Just to give a brief overview of where I am at in the 5K account, uh, as of the market closed today, over the last month, I am now up, uh, let me see here, 14.10% from November 3rd. Uh, Today being December 8th, that's about like a month and a few days and 14% is nothing that I can be sad about. Um, in, those, in that 14% that I've gained, uh, I have some statistics here that I'd love to share with you guys. Um, I have a 95.45% win percentage. Uh, and I have 21 wins and 1 loss. And uh, one of the cooler parts about all this is I've opened every single one of these trades live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash I would like to credit a lot of my recent success. You know, if you if if I could be posh enough to say success, um, to my risk management. You know, I'm not sort I'm not changing my trading style um, at all. Or like rather, uh, giving a little bit more statistics here. I've opened 21 put credit spreads and one short iron condor. The one loss was one of the put credit spreads of the 21. So really looking back, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm still going to continue doing this sort of approach. Um, but you know, I feel like after learning how to trade spreads in 2019, I took what I've learned most from that experience back, back in the day, like close to four years ago. Um, and I've really started applying it in this one, demonstrating some risk management, um, elsewhere. Like, uh, for example, FOMC is next week so i took some trades that were in the profit or in the green uh this week took those profits off the table because i don't want to bring my strategy at risk for a very binary event i think fomc sometimes is a non-factor sometimes the, the stocks continue to trade flat and then it just you know kind of does its own thing uh but other times it could be very volatile you know the stock market can moon which is great for put credit spreads but it can also tank if the FOMC speech from Jay Powell doesn't go that well. So because I know that my strategy has been working thus far, I don't feel like I need to put myself in these more risky positions. In fact, I'll just take gains off the table and then wait for FOMC to finish where I have more information, then I can make better judgments and open better trades going forward. My hope is uh, that we report well Uh, And then he says that, you know, we'll keep interest rates stable and they'll look to make adjustments going forward. Just just what we expect him to say. Um, And then maybe that gives the green light for some sort of Santa rally that can potentially happen. Um, In the event that, you know, it does go south, I'll be glad that I took the gains off the table. But in the event that we sort of moon, I'll be excited to put on more trades because the style of trading that I currently do with put credit spreads do well in a bullish environment or maybe a flat to bullish environment. So um, I won't be sad on missed gains. I will just be excited that I'll be in an environment where my trades or my style does better than average. Alright, next up we have earnings for this week. We have uh, a few earnings that are not typically earnings that I watch, but I did go ahead and keep my eyes on uh, a few that I thought would be interesting for the podcast. Uh, First one um, was after the bell on Tuesday, MongoDB. uh, They nearly doubled the earnings per share estimate and beat revenue by 8%, uh, made possible by a 30% jump in sales. Uh, They also guided up for the next quarter, but after hours, the stock was trading down 5% after the bell. I really, really tried to find any sort of bearish piece on why it could have gone down. Usually, I could find something, but I really couldn't find anything, Um, and that just kind of illustrates the entire theme uh, you know of this section earnings are very dangerous to play but they're good to know and understand uh how the company is doing but playing them with short dated options incredibly dangerous but fun so i can i can vibe with that gamestop is up next uh they beat on earnings per share but missed on revenue reporting year over year decline of nine percent which is not good Uh, They also don't do an earnings call apparently. I'm not sure like how long they've not done an earnings call, uh, but they were down 5% after the bell. However, not really sure what quite happened, but the next morning after being down 5% after hours on Wednesday, Thursday morning, uh, GameStop rallied 16%. So... You know, that kind of go into our Wall Street Bets section of the day today. and uh, Dude, I have a really, really cool story to share uh, that has a lot of things to learn from. Um, but wow, yeah, incredible story, but for later, uh, GameStop rallied 16% after going down 5%. That's nuts. Next up, after GameStop, we have another one of Ryan Cohen's companies, uh, Chewy. It's an online, like, uh, pet's goods and services sort of web service uh, that they provide Um, they beat on earnings per share but missed on revenue and they also lowered forward guidance Uh, they were down 10 percent after the bell up next there was dollar general they beat on earnings per share and just barely squeezed past the revenue expectations uh, I learned as I was writing these notes, the old CEO came back after the CEO was ousted, the new CEO was ousted after only a year at the company, right? So that that says something about how what direction the company was going. Uh, so the new CEO came back. Uh, the focus of Dollar General is to bring back more labor into the stores or aka more employees. Um, they want to focus less on self-checkout. And they want to focus on real cashiers and real employees. They were going in a direction where they wanted to really focus on self checkout, but that in turn just wasn't working. Um, They also said that they wanted turnover for store managers to be less. They want to see store managers being um, or staying at the company longer or staying at that particular store longer so they could help manage inventory and keep inventory in stock, manage inventory markdown on sales of maybe things are lasting too long on shelves Um, lastly dollar general wants to reduce the number of items sold in the store and as an example they said they are going to have maybe like one or two less versions of mayonnaise that they sell in the store so just a little bit less variety uh, in lieu of better um, inventory and they are still planning to grow, but are opening stores at a slower rate compared to previous years because they want to focus on the stores that are already open. Dollar General stock uh, was trading relatively flat after earnings at $132 a share. Next up, um, one that, has, uh, that I've watched for a while. Um, I've traded it a few times in my main account. Um, I think one time in my... 5k account. Uh no, actually I've not traded in my 5k account yet. Uh next is Lululemon, uh company famous for its leggings and belt bags and athleisure uh, apparel. Uh they beat on earnings per share and just barely beat on revenue. They warned of um holiday season being slower than expected and the stock was trading down 2% after the bell. Uh during the Twitch stream this week, we had a really funny discussion with dudes in the chat talking about women's fashion, it was just so backwards. Um, and we were surprised to know that um, or learn that we all kind of knew what Aloe was and then just the hashtag Aloe girl trend. Um, Aloe is a competitor to Lulu. They also sell athlete leisure clothing, both again for both men and women. Um, but you know, Aloe is a private company. Lulu is a public company um and easily i can tell that aloe is just a little bit more popular than lulu at least in my friend group um so i thought that would have impacted lulu but lulu has reported that this just last black friday was their quote single biggest day unquote ever so that was huge that was huge to learn i definitely had a lot of anecdotal evidence proving otherwise but of course my small sample set is nowhere near as accurate as the company being on the record of saying single, single biggest day ever. So go with what Lulu's reporting, not with my, what I noticed in my friend group. Um, but again, the stock was trading down 2% uh, because of the lowered holiday guidance. Next up, we have uh, Docu or DocuSign. Uh, They were really popular during coronavirus and lockdown because when you wanted to send a legal document, you really had no other choice but to use DocuSign. Uh, But this space is getting crowded. I wouldn't say fast, but there are competitors now that are kind of getting into the mix. Um, But we'll get into that just in a few seconds. They beat on revenue and earnings per share Uh, A Year-to-date before earnings, DocuSign has been down 15%. After earnings, they traded down further, uh, down 1%. Um, Competition is boiling from Adobe and Salesforce, but the recent graph trend from DocuSign is showing some form of normalization after the crash from pre-COVID highs. So DocuSign rocketed during lockdown and then has crashed below that um, uh, from its initial price. And now it's starting to rebound. Um, But I think the reason why DocuSign isn't quite moving as much as it probably should, because it's posting some good numbers, um, is that Adobe and Salesforce are looked to be major competitors in the same space. So I think investors are kind of just seeing how much the competition eats into DocuSign's earnings and um, sort of moat. But uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Last but not least, we have Broadcom. They beat on earnings per share and revenue, but ultimately traded flat for the day. Um, The traders seem to be more interested in how Broadcom's acquisition of VMware will play out before reacting big in either direction. Uh, Broadcom's stock, I remember, was trading flat at the time of the writing, and it was trading at $916, which was also new to me. I had no clue Broadcom was trading at $900 a share, I don't know what happened. If I got frozen, and I woke up in the future somehow. But um, I'm gonna look it up again. Avgo, stock, Avgo is the stock symbol. Avgo, and it is crazy, dude. I remember looking at this stock being like in the 500s, and I was like, that was to me was a lot. And then now it's 900 dollars, 944 dollars and 30 cents a share. That's that's crazy. That's like Chipotle, bro. Like Chipotle CMG stock chipotle stock two thousand two hundred forty two dollars of course they just don't have that many shares in the market so that's why it's so expensive but golly it's so crazy imagine imagine buying a hundred shares of chipotle stock and running a cover (laughs) call okay um next up is a doozy it's from wall street bets Um, I think since I've started recording the podcast again, um, I've been more inclined to look at wall street bets for content and stuff. So it's been really fun just kind of get back into the weeds of like getting into some threads and reading comments and stuff. Cause you know, there was a period of time where maybe I just like quickly flash the front page and then look at what headlines might be. But then now I find myself like actually clicking into some of the posts and, um, I'm trying to Pick and choose like the best, best content for you guys because uh, I don't want this podcast to just be Wall Street bets content. But I do think it adds uh, a good amount of fun in it. And today I have one of the I think I have the most wild series of events that I think I've ever read on Wall Street bets. And I've read a lot of stuff. I've I've read the the G, the origins of the G um, kid that like you know lost a bunch of money on Apple selling um, or buying calls and losing it or however he did, I forget. Um, I was there, I've seen, uh, Iron Man, Irony Man, you know, do box spreads. I was there too. Um, but this one, I mean, this one was just probably the most relatable thing that I've ever seen from someone that's come from this sort of background. Um, and I hope that I can like shed a little bit of like what we can learn from this experience and not just have this be like a, ha ha, like this person did some mistakes and we like laugh at this person. I think it's really cool that they're able to share this and be as transparent as they were throughout the whole process. So that's why I'm giving it the live day. Had this person uh, just posted that they were gonna bet big and then they lost big, but without saying anything, I probably wouldn't even pay attention to it at all, but I thought it was just great how um, he sort of uh, took ownership and accountability of it and then gave a little bit of note of like how he's gonna be okay at the end and uh I thought it was just gonna be good content, so let's get into it. So I'm gonna try to summarize this the best that I can and I'm gonna try to tell it to you in a uh maybe like a POV perspective, you know. Um imagine you are a user named Brendog. Okay, he has a few numbers in front of Bren Brendog, but I will I will uh just call him Brendog for the episode. Uh Brendog bet thirty nine thousand dollars on Meta calls. Okay? So and I'm just probably going to call Meta Facebook just cuz th- I'm sure that's how we all remember it uh, so dearly. So he spent $39,000 on Facebook calls that expired the f- the next Friday. AKA it had 3 days left. Okay? He bought the 322.5 calls, like the uh $322.50 strike. And the stock was trading at around 319 when he bought them. And you will not believe it. He hits, okay? He makes it. The stock is trading at 321.77. Of course, not quite at the strike price. But we know from earlier in our buying options episode, I love how I'm tying this back in. So if you're if this is your first episode that you're listening to, give the buying options uh, sort of episode to listen and this will make sense but the next day because he bought the calls when the, it, facebook was trading at 319 the next day it opened at 321.77 and at that point he was up about twenty thousand dollars but instead of selling for a very nice profit of course in true wall street bets fashion he held on he held on long enough to actually close for a 10k loss now you might be thinking okay that sounds that sounds like it sucks but it also sounds like any other day on wall street bets you know why would you Junie? why would you waste my time with this story this sounds like any other day but the craziest part now is he takes because he took a 10k loss that leaves him about with like 30k left with money okay so he originally had thirty nine thousand dollars. He took a 10K loss, so maybe he has $29,000, and he slams the rest of his money, the $29,000, into GameStop calls for earnings that day. But we know what happened because I reported GameStop earnings earlier in this episode. GameStop actually missed, and they, they went down 5%. So what happens up till now just as a summary cuz you know you might be driving it might be wild you might be lifting heavy weights it might be hard to keep track we started with $39,000 into Facebook calls we take a 10k loss on that because we didn't exit for the profit we ended up just holding on to those too long we're now sitting at 29k we might be frustrated we might be bored we put and slam the 29k into gamestop earnings at the earnings call or with the lack of earnings call just the earnings coming out gamestop was trading down five percent after the bell the next morning when gamestop is down like five percent he ends up closing the calls for a loss closing for a loss he's left with 5k in cash While he is in 5K in cash after taking the loss on GameStop, GameStop proceeds to rally 16%. That is insane timing, okay? Now, the icing on the cake, or not. this isn't even the icing. This is just like the third layer of the cake, okay? This is just the third layer. We're not the icing yet. With his last 5K, he slams it into C3.ai earnings, I guess it's some AI company. That's just a guess. I don't really follow them. Um, They had a minus 10% after hours. So he lost that 5K. So now he's left with zero. He won very briefly with Facebook, but he held on too long and eventually lost. He didn't hold on to GameStop long enough because he was down... Uh, tremendously at the open the next day so he took the loss then but then gamestop rallied 16 percent horrible timing and then he slams the rest of his money i'm sure on full tilt just like hey you know what 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 is this last 5k i might as well just put this somewhere and that earnings did minus 10 percent. where then he loses all of his 5k and now are you ready for the icing on the cake are you really ready Because I don't know if you're ready, ready. On Friday, today, at the close of when I'm recording this podcast, if we go back to his first trade, okay? His first trade was buying uh, the 322.5 calls, okay? That's the strike price at $322, let's just say. Right now, Meta is trading at 332, if he had not done anything, he would be walking away right now with nearly a 6 digit gain. We're talking like 100k plus. And I I couldn't I couldn't resist. I had to do the calculation myself. Right now, the 322.5s are going for about 1060, okay? That's a thousand uh, $1,060. I don't know how to say that number. Uh, we'll call that 1060, okay? We multiply that by the number of calls that he had, and he had 180 of those. We multiply 1,060 times 180 is equal to $190,800. That is insane. It had he done nothing and just closed in like the final hour of today, he would have walked away with a hundred and ninety thousand dollars that's incredible. There is so much to unpack here uh but I have to summarize it just one more time uh so that you can understand it okay of just like the series of events that happened because i have I have trouble just believing that this happened, but it is just insane he i mean he was calling his shots before these happened, so that's why. Um, I'm like able to like be so excited about this because I know that these are real. Okay, uh, that this isn't someone clout chasing, looking at past performances on earnings and making some bogus post. He was making edits to his posts as these were happening, and it was just insane. He bets thirty nine thousand dollars on Meta, and Meta goes up. He could profit twenty k at that time, but he doesn't. He, in fact, holds on too long, meta corrects, and he closes it with 10 k loss. He then slams the 29 k into GameStop earnings and then closes at a loss that leaves him with $5,000. But if he had held on to GameStop, he would have made a whopping amount of money. I'm not going to go out and do that calculation because I'm not so interested in that one. But we're going to take that $5,000 that we have left, that we are tilted on, and we're just going to slam it in some really random ai company because it has the letters ai in it and then we're gonna lose all of it because they went down 10 percent at their earnings and then the icing on the cake at the very very end of the week had he done nothing at the very last few hours of close at any sort of time he could have closed it for a hundred and ninety thousand dollars that is crazy how that had all played out. And I had to share that with you guys here on the podcast. Greed is really, really powerful. And I don't mean greed in a way where I think Brendog is like this um, scheming person. Like he just wants all the money in the entire world. You know, that type of evil greed or like, like, like Uncle Scrooge or whatever that person's name is, Mr. Scrooge. I'm not saying that Brendog's like that. But I'm just saying that greed can come in all sort of forms, like you don't you never know how much is enough. I think that's like the first um sort of thing that we could learn from in this example is you know Brendog was up about twenty k initially on his meta position on a position that closes in three days. if you're up that much in a on a position or in a contract that expires in three days. You know, you better take that off the table, but he didn't have a system. He didn't have like a set target percentage where he was okay with taking away gains. In his posts, he mentions that like he wanted a life-changing number, which he honestly could have if he had just waited the entire time, but you know, hindsight 2020, Um, but he didn't feel like the 20K was enough. And so that just opens me up to ask like, what number would have been enough when you're on a timer of three days, you have to make these decisions fast because as the minutes go on, as the hours go on, time decay is, on an exponential, is exponentially decaying and you're losing value from your option really fast. So you need to act fast. And the fastest way to act is if you have a plan that you will follow, maybe that you come up with before entering the trade. I could be more understanding you know if he did have a profit target in mind but maybe he just never disclosed it maybe he was looking for 25k or maybe he was looking for a 30k or 60k off this initial meta trade or facebook trade then i can understand yet yeah maybe you would hold on um, to uh, this initial investment of 39k and hope that it does get to that number um but you need to also have had some sort of stop loss and maybe that was his negative 10k loss the only reason why i don't make these like um g- like good assumptions about brendog's trading patterns is because his sort of timing is not all just due to bad luck right you we see this being like very scattered there doesn't seem to be like a cohesive pattern in how he's trading he's just slamming all in on calls on any particular stock that seems to be interesting to him for this particular earnings week he didn't do any disclosure of like hey there's some price targets i have in mind you know, I, he just wanted like a life changing number, right? Like he says that he's a very hardworking 20 year old that, um, can work plenty more years and make this back, which at the end of the day, you know, I'm glad that he's very, um, very cheery about it because for me, if I had lost $39,000 at his age at 20, I would, I would probably cry. Like I'm not like no cap I'd probably cry, I'd probably feel really bad. I'd probably get over it eventually um but that would have been a life changing amount of money to me so Brendog you know having a lost thirty nine k he says maybe it's like a drop in the bucket, not a big deal. he can work um seems to be really good with with whatever he's doing if thirty nine thousand dollars is not a lot of money, but maybe it's also copium. I have no clue um but anyway, so you know, having a profit target in mind would have just solved issue number one. He would have walked away with 20K in profit and maybe he missed the train, right? Like maybe came up with 20K in profit and then he notices later, um, like today, where Meta is training at 333, that, oh man, I missed out on, you know, 190K um, and I got out at 20K. Darn, you know, notes for next time. You know, maybe move my profit triggers up. But that wasn't the case. There was a... 20k gain that converted into a minus k or a 10k loss, and that translated into going all in at the next earnings and then getting out too early at the next earnings. It was just so many bad decisions that can't just be chalked up to bad luck, right? Like, it'd be unfair to say that hey, Brent Dog just got really unlucky because. There's a lot of places here where we could have made adjustments, but because he made this in such quick succession either, he didn't give enough time to reflect. And so that's also maybe another lesson that we could learn here is once you take a big loss, you know, a 10K loss in a 39K portfolio is a 25% 25 loss in your portfolio. And that's huge, right? Like I think as we trade on Wall Street Bets, 25% loss is not a huge deal, you know, like in relevance to like a lot of the loss lost posts that you see on there but in a in a main trading portfolio when you start taking this really seriously minus 25 in one day is uh, game changing right like it starts really limiting what you can start doing um of course that depends on the size of your portfolio but minus 25 in general is a lot uh when it comes to your portfolio your entire portfolio size So after a big event where you do lose a double-digit number in percentages, maybe it'd be good to take a break and then reassess, you know, why the previous trade went wrong and then go into the next one, which is why I advocate for taking notes and, you know, having opening notes for your trades on Thetagang.com. Like, had you, like, written notes on, you know, the earnings play that are opening, you would probably, maybe, hopefully put a profit triggers or you know price targets that you would have had in mind in your notes where you could look at in case um you know you were in you were in the green and you wanted to see what you were thinking at the time you of course don't need to even use data you could use a spreadsheet to track all of this um but really what made this uh really interesting i think just for me was just the irony of it all like had brendog just not done anything He would have made 190K, um, not in profit though, because he started with 40K. So he would have made $150,000 in profit had he not done anything until the last day. And so this goes into like keeping a system that works for you simple. You don't want too many points in time where you touch your trades or you overmanage your portfolio or you make trades in quick succession. Um, You know, Maybe you can open yourself up to start doing like high-volume trades that require lots of execution. But I'd say like, let this story be a really good example of over-managing and over-trading in a quick period of time. You want to try your best to space out your trades, give yourself enough time to think and act accordingly with the market. If you're always trying to chase the next tick, like the next hour, like the next day of the market, then it's not going to be so good for you in the long run because you'll be very sensitive to huge price swings that might come from like a swift correction in the broader market or maybe like a earnings call or some sort of some sort of external, very binary event like earnings or FOMC and all that stuff. Keeping it simple is key and there's so many things that tie into it. If you keep your strategy simple, there shouldn't be that many touching points uh, where you put in your emotion and allow your emotions sort of dictate where you go. There would be less places to tilt. When you keep things simple, it's easier to follow, so there's less deviation. When you start adding too many rules, right? Like you can have a very strict amount of rules, but if you have too many There's too many times where you'll deviate. If you put yourself in a very small room where you need to start doing bigger and bigger things as your account grows, as you start winning more, you start subjecting yourself to start breaking your own rules. And we don't know where that gray area is where you're going to stop breaking your rules or modify your rules. So start out with a few rules for yourself. Not too many that's overbearing, but also make sure that your rules are simple. And, you know, a lot of that we'll go into in future episodes of the podcast where I talk a little bit more and more and more about like my 5K account and my 5K strategy, like I talked about earlier. Where again, I'm just going to look again one more time just to remind myself. I've done 21 put credit spreads uh, on my 5K account and one short iron condor. And I have 21 wins and one loss. Uh, there's a reason why I only doing put credit spreads for right now because it's a really simple way for me to conceptualize where we're heading in the market what sort of strikes and premiums i like to sort of open my trades at and the premium that i like to receive and it makes digesting information uh, from me opening these trades and closing these trades um, easier for me to start formulating my uh, opinions and biases going forward where if I'm opening tons of different trades, I'm opening on uh, trades on a whole bunch of random tickers um, or stocks, then I might be chalking some things up to like, oh, you know what? Maybe this is just um, based on Shopify or maybe this is just based on Ulta or I start going on random like, oh, this is spy doing its own thing. This is QQQ. When you start eliminating these variables and you start making things simple, you can make adjustments to your system Much more clearly than if you have a whole bunch of variables. So, I know that there are veterans of the podcast and veterans that are trading that have a whole bunch of indicators and stuff that they look at, and that's fine. If it works for you, it works. If you have a proven record to yourself that your trading strategy is working and you're beating SPY and you're having a good time, I don't think you should change anything. But this piece of advice and this sort of segment is dedicated for people that are still trying to find how they like to trade and how they want to make their system and what rules they want to sort of make for themselves keep it simple in the beginning and start adding rules and changing things as you add more variables but keep it again simple at the start All right. Into the meat of today's episode. Man, I really enjoyed recording that last segment. I've had a lot of fun like sort of uh, like summarizing that story. It, it felt kind of like I was like a like a journalist. Like I, th- I thought that was like really cool. I mean, I report on a lot of different things on the podcast. Um, but, you know, it's not it's not often I'm like really in sync with the timing of these like edits that for example Dog was posting about like hey you know i took a loss here i'm putting the rest of the money in this tomorrow and he does it and then he posts about that he lost and then he's he makes an edit and says okay i'm gonna put the last of it in here and it just felt like i was following it in real time and i just haven't done that in quite a while so it, it brought back memories for sure back when i was like really really into wall street bets um and that's why it's part of the intro, right? Like when I talk about I'm a trader from Wall Street bets years ago or whatever I say in the intro. Um so today we're going to be talking about um something that's in common with the first two episodes of, you know, my sort of comeback from the break when I was building out version 3 of the website. And um those first two episodes being buying uh options, right? And then the second episode being selling options. This is going to be the episode where we have, we're have we going to have a discussion about uh, date to expiration, which is something that both of those uh, sides have in common. On the buy side, you're worried about date to expiration. And when you're selling or writing an option, you're also worried about dex- date to expiration. And it's because options expire. If you're listening to this right now um, and you haven't listened to either the buying options or selling slash writing options podcast episode uh, I'd suggest listening to that one first and then just coming back to here right now. Um, but again, both of those sides, what they have in common is that they're trading options, uh, buying or selling, but you always have to pick a date and it doesn't matter whether or not you're selling it or buying it. The date is just as important on both sides. Just remember that contracts do in fact expire. Contracts represent sort of obligations that a user might have or receive when they uh, buy a specific option for example if you buy a call uh, maybe a 105 call on apple it gives you the right to buy apple stock at 105 if you buy a put on apple stock it gives you the right to sell at 105 these these rights to buy and these rights to sell expire. And that's that's the entire point of this date to expiration is like how long are you allowed to be able to do these sort of uh, obligations while the contract is open. Whether or not you buy or sell an option, an option that expires later will always be worth more than an option that expires sooner, assuming that the strike prices are the same. And that's because when you have more time on the contract, you have more time to be correct, and that can be seen from the lens of someone that's buying a contract or selling slash writing a contract and By definition, if something is more probable to happen or if you have more time to be correct, it will be more expensive as you explore options that might expire the same day, a zero days to expiration contract that Wall Street bets is very famous for or maybe it's just a weekly uh, contract that expires the same week, you'll notice those are much cheaper than the calls or puts that you might buy that are a month or two months out. And that's because as the option reaches expiration, as it gets closer to the final day at which it expires, you're going to notice that the amount that the option decays becomes exponential. So, as the days and days get closer, uh, you'll notice that your price of your option is starting to sort of go down quite a bit, especially on, from the difference from the last week. Every day from that last week, you notice a good chunk of premium being slashed out um, if you're on the buy side. Of course, this is a good side or this is a good thing if you're on the sell side or aka the writing side. Um, but if you're on the buy side, this is not good. And that's where the pros and cons start to sort of add up. Uh, And it's up to you to really determine whether or not uh, you want to continue writing these short data expirations. But you can see why if you buy an option that expires maybe in three days like Brendog did, you feel like you're on a timer and you feel like you really need to make your decision fast. In hindsight, if he had just waited till the very last day, he would have walked away with 150 k in profit. But that's not a fair comparison right his option was going to expire in three days Uh, so he could have walked away with 20k but didn't want that so that might be chalked up to greed but him closing out for a 10k loss does make sense if you do feel like hey you missed the moonshot your bet was wrong you probably want to take the gains off the table and that seems like a good thing in my book the things where it started going wrong was that he started slamming all of it and GameStop and the C three AI earnings, which was just a little bit tilty in my opinion. Like it gives like some 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 vibes of like tilt, uh, and that's okay too because everyone makes mistakes. But yeah, it, had he just bought a longer dated option, I feel like he would have actually held much been more comfortable held, holding on, um, where maybe he didn't buy 180 contracts of a uh, a call that expired this same friday for meta but what if he just bought maybe 50 contracts and bought himself another week of ex- of days to expiration sure his multiple of profits would have been less but more time to be correct would have probably stopped him from closing out for a 10k loss early he would be quite up on those right now having a whole other week to hold on to this Uh, and that he would have never realized a 10k loss never slammed into gamestop and never gone c3 ai and that's just from buying more time on that initial bet at the exchange of a lower gain multiple right like instead of buying 180 contracts with a very short time frame maybe 50 contracts with a little bit more time to be correct and the balance of that goes on you know like if you're bullish maybe you know you don't see yourself as this like gambler right like you know i mentioned wall street bets on here a lot and that's because i have i have a lot of tribal knowledge from wall street bets from back when i was on it a lot um, back in the day um and you might not relate to wall street bets at all but you're just really curious Junie. uh i don't necessarily want to trade same week expiry um calls i do want to buy calls though so what would be a good date to expiration for me to pick when I'm buying calls in a more responsible way that I wanna incorporate in my system? My answer there is, I don't know. For the last four years, I've been strictly selling calls. Um, I haven't bought calls in a very, very long time. And that's a strategy that has never worked for me. Uh, Granted, I do have a lot more trading discipline now So I could maybe start experimenting with buying calls in the 5K account. I'm just not sure yet, but I'm just doing so good with selling options on there, so I'm going to keep doing that. Um, But when it comes down to it, I don't have as much experience buying calls successfully in a system where I can advocate for a very strong day to expiration. But I can give you sort of what I see on the internet, what I see from Reddit, uh, what I might learn from my own patrons and all that stuff about buying options that might be beneficial to you right now. So to get things started, on the buy side, um, if I were to start buying calls today with all the knowledge that I've gained in the last four years on the sell side, so I kind of know how the buy side works and how I might want to start incorporating it, if I had access, To um, probability of profit, I would definitely want to stay within like at least 30% chance of probably a profit, and uh, have some sort of uh, profit trigger at 30%. That's what I would start with. I haven't tested that yet, but that's where I would go. Um, Next, I would choose a strike and expiration um, that had an expiration uh, that was a monthly contract. What you might know or might not know is that there are contracts uh, that are deemed that are weekly and there are monthly contracts. And these aren't relative to you. These are relative to how the stock is structured um, and when they consider their monthly options to be. So um, a weekly option is designated usually in your stock brokerage app with a W um, next to its expiration date. Uh, and a monthly is designated with, you guessed it right, a letter M. These monthlies are traded more often than the weeklies. Uh, usually it's institutions just feeling more comfortable with trading monthlies. Um, maybe it's just a better time frame from them. Not saying that they only trade monthlies but you do see a lot more open interest and a lot more people trading the monthlies on average so it just makes it feel a little bit better a little bit chance for a better amount of um, less slippage for example more people trading it leads to better price discovery leads to the bid and ask being uh, less wide so you get better fills on the way in and better fills on the way out which gives you a better profit margin when you do want to exit trades Um, but that would be One of the key factors for me when buying a call is if I bought a call or I bought a put, I would want to look at the nearest monthly. Now, I mentioned that these monthlies are relative to the company and not you. So it's not enough to just be like, okay, I'm just going to buy a month out the date to expiration or the contract that's a month out could be a weekly uh, what's considered a weekly call or a weekly put or a weekly contract it will literally have the letter m or it'll be designated as the monthly uh if it's the monthly contract and so i would look for the nearest one if the nearest one was in the same week i probably would skip it and i'd probably just go on to the next monthly and just buy that one um because i don't i don't think if i played um long options right now i'm pretty sure i would not play same week expiration monthly or same week expiration calls or puts uh, strictly because it feels a little bit too gambly maybe i get really into like momentum style trading then i could start maybe thinking about um doing same week expirations but i'm not quite there yet i would most likely start off doing it in a more you know I quote it as responsible way where other people might just think it's the same thing, but just requires more money. I don't know, right? Like buying options, picking expirations, very new to me um, or rather it's not has been successful for me. So if I were to revisit it with a plan, I would do it uh, this way. And I don't want to also give off the impression that like I've never bought stuff. Uh, like options before because in fact I buy options every week I have to buy my contracts back after I sell them so I do buy options just not in the you know sense or the context that I'm talking about right now Um, and when I did buy options in the context that i am talking about right now i didn't have good success so i'm just being very transparent here with you that i have a lot of really good experience with picking strikes and expirations on the sell side which we'll get into in just a few i think seconds but if i were to again approach buying options and picking date to expirations um, or just strikes or just buying uh, option in general right now, just a little tidbit. Maybe I have a dedicated episode to this a little bit later. Um, I would first um, look for a probability of profit are around 30%. I'd probably take early, very early profits and also 30%. Um, and then I would look for the nearest monthly and um make sure that that has good open interest and that i'm trading a stock that has very low slippage or a very popular stock that's traded so that i can make my entries and exits at a fair price where i'm not getting gouged on the way in and gouged on the way out that can eat into my sort of profit loss so that's my sort of system that i look to hopefully show maybe in the 5k account at a later time but again I've been doing really really well on the sell side and I feel much more comfortable talking about the sell side and we'll go into that section now. All right. This is my bread and butter. I've been doing this I've been doing this for four straight years. Just this, okay? I have I think the longest history of transparent data that you can just see all my wins all my losses. I love saying this because every year I just get to say the bigger number, you know, the last year I've been doing this, the last two years I've been doing this, the last three years I've been doing this. Now the last four years I've been doing this, I've been doing this exact same strategy for the last four years. I've had really good performance with it and I've really developed it and made it into my own style after getting lots of inspiration from Reddit from people on the internet, from TastyWorks, from friends, like I have my own system now that I'm really proud to share. And then today, I'll give the date to expiration side of that system, where I how I like to pick my dates. In the year of 2020, right? Because 2019 was uh, I started doing Theta Game style strategies, aka put credit spreads, call credit spreads, and short iron condors in mid 2019 and i had pretty good success with that i started building up enough confidence and enough of a portfolio to start doing cash secure puts and cover calls uh then that rolled into 2020 and 2021 where i had amazing success with these st- sorts of strategies went through all of the covid crash just fine although it was hella scary um and then traded the covid rally which is great the 2021 also that that was great 2022 less great but did better than spy so that proved a lot for my strategy and this year i am at an all-time high of profit of 80k in a 310k portfolio right now and i'd say one of the most important things that i've learned is managing the amount of time that i spend being in uh one of these trades on the sell side my philosophy has always been that I think that Warren Buffett's strategy of buying and holding stock is the best. But for me, it's really boring. And then as I was sort of graduating from put credit spreads and call credit spreads into uh, cash-secured puts and covered calls with a bigger portfolio, you know, I started learning about like 45 days to expiry and that I was being recommended to do 45 days. And what I noticed about doing 45-day expiration was that it took a while to reach that 50% mark. And to me, it wasn't fun. Like, I can't, I can't say that it doesn't work. I think it's actually very well tested by the people at Tastyworks. So when you first start out, I think 45-day expiry is great. You know, if you're, if you're on the sell side, gives you plenty of time to be wrong, gives you lots of good buffer and gives you a good amount of premium, right? Because the option is more expensive because it has a longer uh, amount of time to be correct. It has more days on it um, to uh, before expiry. So, you know, when you first start out, 45 days sounds great. But then as I started trading a whole bunch during the COVID um, sort of rally and into 2021 and then 2022, I started really loving the 21-day expiry. It doesn't have to be necessarily exactly 21 days. Of course, it could be like a plus or minus of three days or whatnot. Um, But around 21 days, that's where I feel like right when I open it, you know, per day, I get like a few dollars in my favor, especially if the trade starts flat. You know, if it starts trading flat, I feel that the time decay or theta decay really starts to work in my favor. And I love that feeling of being able to just generate money as I have this bet open as opposed to if we're on the buy side, you know, if, if I have 21 days left on it, then, you know, I start feeling like, okay, I have less and less time to be correct here. Let's better, let's get this thing moving. I want the stock to move in the direction that I want it to go in. Um, but on the sell side, 21 days is right at the cusp of where I start to really feel the impacts of me selling the option and capturing premium now having a 21 day expiry or even 45 day expiry right the the amount of days they have left on the contract does not determine how long you have to hold it it just gives you the maximum amount of time that you can hold it okay so for example in my main account uh the 310k portfolio um, that i do primarily cover calls and cash secured puts uh, my average trade duration is about 8.07 days just rounding that down i ha- i have a trade on typically for eight days so i might open it up in 21 days time by close it out in about eight days on average so maybe it's because i'm always picking like the more bullish side of options and the stock market has been doing really well so i close out my contracts just a little faster or some other external factor that I'm not aware of. Aware of, But in the 21-day expiry, I often hold onto my trades for about eight days. And that's not me saying, okay, I'm on my eighth day. I'm going to close it now. That's just from the culmination of all my data um, that I've uh, put into my 2023 year of doing covered calls and cash-secured puts. Um, I've done 72 covered calls this year and 34 cash-secured puts. Uh, and so I feel like I have a good amount of data to back this up. and having an t- average trade duration of eight days is pretty good. I'd say that allows me to sort of be flexible in my decisions where you know maybe my thesis of where the market will go might change week to week. I wouldn't say that's necessarily true because I'm typically very optimistically bullish or cautiously bullish. Um, but if I did need to, I could adjust my strikes and my thesis accordingly. Every eight or so days. And I think that's very powerful. Where maybe if I opened a 45 day expiration and that's nearly double of my 21 day expiration that I like, then maybe I would hold on to a typical trade for 16 days. I don't quite know that because I don't have the data to back it up. But for picking a 21 days to expiry option, eight days to hold it and to close it is perfect for me. I feel like I could be nimble enough to like let my shares be naked in the event that I just close my covered calls for a profit. If I think the company is in a really bullish position or it lets me write more cash secured puts in case if I want to pick up more stocks, um, it just really allows me to be nimble uh, with every eight days or every week where maybe every 16 days uh, might be, might feel a little slow. I mean, there's also pros there too, right? If it's, I'm closing my trades every 16 days, um, then there's less times where I can touch my portfolio, and that's could be seen as a good thing. But I feel like I've at this point, I have pretty good trading discipline. Where eight days is perfect. Like maybe like once a week, I'm like managing a particular position of one of my stocks, and it feels good. It feels like I keep a weekly tab on things. Um, I'm not over touching the trades. I feel like, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how the market pans out, and if we'll see if my opinion. On 21 days being the best expiration for covered calls and cash secure puts changes. I think as of very, very recent, I've started experimenting more with 14 days, um, and that's been a blast. I feel the data decay right away, uh, really. Um, But they don't give me enough premium sometimes, uh, especially with my lower IV stocks like, for example, Intel. Uh, they don't pay me enough where it makes sense to write covered calls, I feel. So um, I've been writing 21 days for the most part on most of my cash secured puts and uh, covered calls with the occasional 14-day expiry um, at which I still have landed on an average trade duration of 8 days. But here we go. We're still on the sell side. And you're telling me, Junie, but what if I'm not doing covered calls or uh, cash secured puts. What if I'm doing short iron condors, put credit spreads, or call credit spreads? For these three, um, I've been doing. Uh, I, I think about like 14 days expiration. Like I'm looking inside uh, my profile for Juni 5K, and most of these look like honestly 14 day expiries, like or AKA two weeks. Um, and that's might be because I want to feel the Theta Decay work in my favor faster because I have a smaller account. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, when I trade, um, uh, let, let, let me see, 14-day expiries, my average trade duration is 5.07 days. So uh, for a 21-day expiry for covered calls and cash secured puts, I have an 8-day trade duration uh, when I'm doing... 14 days on put credit spreads, crawl credit spreads, and short iron condors. It's a five-day trade duration. So that's like guaranteed I'm managing or closing the trade in about five days. And that feels also really good, especially in a f- smaller account where I would have to do a higher volume of trades to realistically get to the quote-unquote next level. Like uh, I can't make bets that are too big. Uh, that would wipe the account so i need to reach a high volume of trades that win like a good amount at a time you know not pennies in front of the steamroller but like i need to win a large amount of trades to eventually get there and average trade duration of five days makes a lot of sense to me after looking at this data Uh, again i do have a very skewed win percentage right now Uh, of the 21 put credit spreads i've opened I've won 20 of them and I've won on the only short iron condor that I've opened with a win percentage of 95.45%. And again, this is shown on twitch.tv slash real gang for free. I'm just like literally just on there hanging out with the chat, having a good time at 9am Pacific time. But with all of that said, right? Like here is Junie with 22 data points for his 5k account, right? Says I've, um, I've closed 22 trades on this so far, Um, But I've opened this all live on stream. I know I keep hounding on that. But until the standard changes, I want to be really proud that I do do that. Um, So of the 22 trades, I've closed live on stream with real data hanging out with real people having like a good time. And just being as transparent as possible. This seems to be working. This 14-day expiry seems to be working so far. I'll put, I'll give updates in the event that this 5K count fails or I notice that I'm losing too often too fast. Maybe I do need to start bumping this up to 21-day expiry if I notice that I'm losing too often too quickly where maybe if I had gone in enough uh, time, the stock would have rebounded. We'll see. But for right now, real data, and you're getting this for free, The Juni 5K account with 22 closed trades, the average trade duration for 14-day expiries is five days. And that's my favorite, absolute favorite date to expiration right now for uh, the 5K account, or aka for put credit spreads, for short iron condors, and call credit spreads. When you start getting into other trade types um like for example when we start talking about short strangles short straddles maybe like a butterfly or a jade lizard like all these other fancier trades i don't have uh experience trading those i do want to make sure that when i you know talk about a topic especially when i'm talking about like option selling that I might not know like the hippest, craziest, complex strategies, but I keep it really simple. And, you know, I'm not very sort of financially adept. Like, uh, I don't think I kn- I'm a quant by any means. I know how to do some napkin math. I know how to draw some really, really crude drawings uh, of like stock charts and some price targets and stuff. Uh, but that's about it. I'm really uh, just a normal trader like you all. Um, that just knows a little bit more because uh, I do this every day. And it's like the only style that I do and I've spent a lot of time on it. So I really want to give off the impression that like, hey, I don't don't know every single strategy in the book. I don't trade every single strategy in the book. But when it comes to the things I'm best at, I can talk about really comfortably because I have real data to back it up. And I think that's what differentiates me the most Um, from any other person that does any content remotely close to this. I think personally, it's very easy to just do price targets. You know, I can just tweet out price targets of stocks all day. And then when they hit, uh, I can just like retweet that tweet and then maybe delete some of the tweets that I wasn't correct on. And then that'd be the end of it. And I'd look really smart. Um, I think it's also easy to just, teach. I think it's easy to teach how to do a covered call. I think it's really easy to teach how to do a cash secured put, but it's really hard to execute in a profitable way where you're beating spy and you're beating a savings account. Um, but there's not much documentation out there of people actually doing that. If, and the very few documentation of people actually recording their progress are challenge accounts that don't have like follow-ups of like why it succeeded or why it failed. And so I'm trying to change that. You know, When it comes to me putting out content, I want to make sure that you understand that, hey, this person that's telling me about their preferences and how they trade, they're really doing it. And that's why I think Twitch is something I'm really leaning into right now because it does give you a platform to sort of ask me questions. It helps me learn. It helps me get better. Uh, but you get to really see me do this live in front of you of just the last thing that we talked about. For example, like next week, after listening to this podcast episode, you join the twitch.tv slash real Theta Gang Twitch channel and you say, Junie, I just listened to your Days to Expiration uh, podcast episode. Uh, Are you going to open a 14-day expiry soon? And the answer would be yes. I hope uh, as I record more episodes and more interesting topics, we can learn about them on the podcast, and then see them in action or discuss them in the Twitch channel. I think that'd be really cool, making this a one-way communication channel into a two-way communication channel on Twitch. Uh, That's it for today's episode. Again, my Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash Gang. I'd love to see you guys there and make my week. uh, And I'll see everybody there on Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific time if you can make it. Thank you so much. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and day. This podcast, the website, and stream are all made possible because of my patrons at patreon.com slash theta Signing up keeps the services up and alive as well as pay my own personal bills like health insurance. I do the podcast, website, and stream full time and is my primary source of income. I feel grateful to be able to do this full-time and my focus on providing the best service possible for free. The podcast, website, and stream are all free and it'll stay that way. Signing up for Patreon does give you a few perks though, so check it out again at patreon.com slash ThetaGang if you're interested in helping support. Alright, my favorite time of the podcast... My supporters and patrons and friends are Fancy Wolf, Flows Pepes, Mods, Pasture Bedtime, Upstream Puddle, Seneca, ensis 88 EDC, Kevlar22, Nala, Jay Perkins86, Slow Motion, Rusty or The Jester, Grandpa 85, Chicken Dinner, Kaput, K21, Butler, Sumatrix, Statistically Random, Turbo, Ricky, Maestro XC, Low Major Tackle Me Elmo Avrilian Danube 9000 McFly Mr Integrity Rooster Bearded Savage Caveman Andy V Arfman Memmem Can Make Money IRL Mountman 1856 Thank you so much for helping me support our thank you for helping support um the website podcast and stream um none of this would be possible without you guys um guaranteed if I did not have patrons and um some sort of income coming into ThetaGain.com, I would most likely have a 9-to-5 job right now. Uh, Had I gotten laid off um, and not had this uh, sort of opportunity, again, funded by my patrons and the people that help donate on Twitch and sub on Twitch, um, I would feel much more scared of where I am right now, and I would want a sort of salary to come in. But... I have a few people that do believe in me and the vision of where I want to take this thing, and they're choosing to help support me um, get there. And so very, very grateful for the people that do continue to help me on Patreon, and very grateful for the ones that have uh, uh, contributed to me on Patreon. Of course, no one stays on Patreon forever, uh, but... Again, if you have been on the Patreon before and you're still listening to podcasts, it's me saying thank you for your contribution before too again, I'm doing this uh full time now, so it's it's just a whole bunch of being grateful for the things I do have for the little bit of money that I do have coming in quite haven't broken even yet uh on rent and health insurance, but I'll get there. In some way, somehow, I'll get there. It will just take some time. I'm okay with that, um, being a little bit scared in the short term. But I know that if I keep putting my head down and making sure that I execute how I'm continuing to execute, I think there is a good chance I'll get there someday. So no rush. Absolutely no rush. But I am grateful, again, for my patrons. Um, okay. Uh, Going into the 1% section, um, I am – Oh crap uh i forgot to mention that well i mean okay so i'm visiting my parents uh next week on and i'm driving up on thursday and i th- i think i was supposed to like i'm still even thinking about it right now darn i wanted to mention that i might not be streaming on thursday um and definitely not streaming on friday because i'm going to be driving up and i wanted. to start the drive early cause the drive is like six hours long and it's much more enjoyable if I start off early in the morning. Um, but you know, if this, if I, oh, man, I didn't, uh, I don't want to just insert it. I don't want to have to move all the cl- audio clips over. I might just end up s- streaming on Thursday. I do want to keep my momentum up too. Like I totally understand. Cause I also watch a guy named Gold on YouTube. He's like, He's a I think he's a really cool dude. I think he's very polarizing. A lot of people don't like him, but if you just just don't dig too deep and don't take too much meaning from what he says um and just look at it really lightheartedly. I think he's a great uh person and has really good content. But he says that like when he was starting to stream for his like first time um and his initial traction started building, he would feel pressure to have to stream to keep the momentum going. And right now, I'm only at an average of like 24 to 25 viewers, which is not a lot, but it is more than I have ever had on an average day basis. Like, I'm streaming every weekday, and there's at least like 25 people on average for the last week showing up. And that is great. I love that, and I want to keep that going. But you know, there's this side of me that's like, man, if I don't show up on Thursday and Friday, then are they going to be hyped and interested in showing up on Monday? And that's a whole thing. But I think if I want to do this long term, I have to also be okay with having to sort of have these blips, because when am I ever going to take vacation? Uh, Do I need to take vacation if I really love what I'm doing? Of course I do, because I'm gonna get burnt out. I I don't know. So We'll see. We'll see what happens on Thursday. If I'm if I'm streaming on Thursday, I am already packed with my computer just ready to be unplugged despite all the streaming equipment plugged in. I'm ready to just unplug my computer, stick in my bag and leave. Everything else is packed and ready to go. I am really really excited to see my mom and my uh stepdad this time around more than usual because typically I have a job. Okay. I have a job and i'm on pto or i'm on like half pto where i'm like working maybe some of the time but that or and even on pto maybe sometimes i would end up working right but this time i'm on my own time okay so i'll still stream while i'm visiting my parents you'll you guys will get to see the the inside of my childhood room and you'll see me with my iconic pink cat ear headphones i think it's be just so so funny or maybe oh honestly maybe not because i have my new apple headphones i don't know um but the stream will continue but it's gonna feel really good like after the stream i'm just gonna get my laptop and i go outside and sit next to my mom while she watches her shows on tv and That that's it. You know, I'm really excited for really that. I'm excited to go grocery shopping with my mom where maybe back when I had a job, I'd be like in a rush to grocery shop with my mom and then I have to get back in time for a meeting. And she would always be asking like, you know, do we need to speed it up a little bit more like because you're a meeting? And I'd say like, no, it's okay. And then maybe I get a little like antsy because I really do actually have to be back. But now it's going to feel good. I feel like this is cause I've always had a job and I've always had like a pretty critical role at the company where I feel like I've always had to be on call or something, but this is my first time. I think since I've had a professional job where I'm visiting my parents and the second that I step in the door of the, of the house, you know, that I grew up in, uh, I don't need to necessarily be in a meeting that I don't want to be in. Not saying that I have any meetings at all for Theta game. Cause I, I actually don't. Um, but, I will be able to hang out with my parents uh, the entire time. And maybe this is op- like this is a very optimistic view because I do understand that at the tail end of my visits with my parents, I'm always pretty excited to come back home too because I felt like I had plenty of time to recharge and hang out. But I think this time I'm really going to enjoy all, like every single second of it. Um, my plan is because my parents... Uh, they don't know what to do in retirement. It's very crazy. They, my parents, are very conservative uh, in terms of like finance. Like they don't like spending money. They don't know how to enjoy their wealth that they worked so hard and saved up for. Like they have plenty of money to do things, uh, but they just don't. And that's primarily because no one in the relationship takes initiative to do things because both don't like spending money. You know, so it's gonna take a little bit of me, driving them to different places, just seeing what they what clicks. You know, so I'm gonna take them to, you know, the wharf. Maybe get a little bit a of box of caramel popcorn, uh, for my stepdad. Walk around the wharf a little bit with my mom. Um, you know, I wanted to sign up for a ceramics class with my parents. I think that'd be a slam dunk. Um, but, of course, that's also really expensive and a little bit farther away. I don't like the idea of my parents driving far on a daily basis. Um, my stepdad has recovered from diabetes from having A1C levels of, like, 15 down to 5.5, which sounds unreal. It sounds like a Netflix movie or a Lifetime movie, like, arc. Uh But it is true. My stepdad has completely reversed his diabetes from going from – a really unhealthy diet to a relatively healthy one with the help of some medication. But he stopped some of his medication. um, And that has led to some weight gain, which before it was impossible for this dude to gain weight. But now he's at like, he was at 143, desperately trying to gain weight because him at 143 is heartbreaking. Like I don't like seeing him that, that, uh, that skinny. But now he's saying that he's at 158 and it's hard to keep the weight off. So I'm excited to see... The more chubby version of my stepdad. I think it's going to be funny. I'm going to poke lots of fun at him. Uh, but we're going to walk more. I, I'm excited to walk more with my mom. My mom's a big walker. Uh, my stepdad is less of a walker. But he should be walking. So I'm going to try and motivate him to walk more too. Um, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, I have a lot of fun exploring things with my parents. Because... In my upbringing, and I think this is the last point for the 1% section, I don't want to bore you guys uh, too much. I, I like boring you guys a little bit. Uh, when I was growing up, um, it was, if I had not had the sort of drive to try new things from the friend group that I had, uh, right? Like, I've I've had a lot of best friends growing up, different best friends in different time periods of my life that have been very very impactful in how i look at life and how i look at relationships now uh, all in good ways by the way like all my best friends have always been great best friends no betrayals no nothing like i've been very grateful for that um like my best friend in middle school name is jacob jacob walters my oh my god i learned to be um, less of a crybaby. I learned to be more funny, more lax. He taught me how to be like barefoot when I was like very OCD on like being clean. Like, um, it, very weird statement by the way, but like we would play on the blacktop or the concrete and play basketball with bare feet just cause you know, we would go in and out of the like, um, like high school pool. Cause I, his mom taught me how to swim. Uh, and I eventually joined like swim team practice a few times and that was really cool Uh, so I learned a little bit of my athletic side from that too and then he moved away which was really sad for me I felt like oh man I felt so sad I felt very 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 sad I I had a large group of friends when I was in middle school though so you know it the impacts of it was really sad but got over it maybe in like a month we called for a little bit and then that slowly dwindled away you know Distance, kind of hard to keep up, especially, you know, long distance calls back then costed more. So we had to be more mindful, kind of just like text each other. Texting, unlimited texting was not like a thing back then either. Uh, I didn't have texting. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. So it was just harder to communicate. And so we slowly lost a little bit of touch. Uh, but we just like last year, uh, he added me on Instagram, which is really crazy. And then he has a kid now, which is also really crazy, but also really cool. Uh, so happy for him. And then in high school, my best friend, James Lee, um, we had started breakdancing together, um, which taught me to become more, like, okay with, you know, like, dancing. Like, just dancing in general gives you so much more confidence. Um, I feel like, you know, I got a lot of my confidence during that era of learning how to breakdance. I thought I was pretty okay at it. I think looking back, I was probably just average, um i wasn't good by any means compared to other people that were also breakdancing in that same amount of time but i felt like i had an edge and maybe like teaching how to break dance uh or like teaching how windmill teaching how baby freaks use doing some like pretty elementary stuff that would be considered elementary now that back in the day there weren't that many resources so that played out a little bit better in my favor back then um but yeah I've always had friends. Oh, oh, my first best friend ever, and you know, like uh, his name is Marshall Gibson. Um, yeah, l- love the love him. I visit him every time I go home. I'm gonna visit him when I go home this time around. Uh, he was my very first friend ever. Uh, his grandparents uh, essentially took me in. <laughs> Not saying that my parents uh, like booted me out or anything, but I would I would get picked up by his grandparents all the time. As grandparents would always like get us to try to golf. I didn't like golfing back then, but I love it now, uh, or at least I try to love it now because I just realizing how bad I am at this thing. But um, I always had someone to continue to push me to do things that I wasn't originally comfortable with, you know. And I had thought that this was a normal thing. But I'm learning as I'm getting older, as I'm communicating with like peers of my age or maybe younger and younger kids, because in jujitsu, we have like people in college. We have like grown adults. We have like grandparents. We have people of all different ages in there. And I'm realizing like there's not that many people that care enough to really try to push you to do things that are new. Right. Like. It's only with the best friend or a really close friend that you try something new with. You're like, hey, I really want to do this. I want to be vulnerable with you. I want you to see me like be really bad at this one thing, but I want to learn this with you, right? There's not that many people that you're willing to try new things with. Uh, so, you know, I'm just trying to be that person for my parents because they've they've given me a really awesome childhood despite them working all the time. You know, my mom always feels bad when she talks about it. You know, she tears up every time she talks about it. But to me, like it, it really doesn't hit. It hurts a nerve just seeing my mom tear up, though. But to me, really, I feel like I had the one of the best childhoods I could ever, ever ask for. Uh, obviously, I would, I would want to pay attention to my kid just a little bit more or work a little bit less. But maybe this venture of dating full time will allow me to do that. Um... But, yeah, I want to be there for my parents where, you know, they are not stuck at home, but they are at home. And I do want to make sure that they have uh, really a really good time together. Like, I don't want them to have to focus on having good times with me. I want to teach them to have a good time with them too uh, in their, like, later stages in life. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be my goal for my uh, parental visit this this incoming week, as, as you are listening to this on the Monday, I'll be leaving on Thursday, probably after the stream. Uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. I'm a real person. Um, I don't only trade. I do like other things. I have other hobbies. Um, but you'll learn more and more about that as you listen to the podcast, tune into the stream, check out the website, and all that fun stuff. I'll see everybody Next week on the podcast episode, or maybe possibly on Monday on Twitch. Thank you, and bye bye.